This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Everyone, thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We have a special convo lined up for you. It's a welcome back slash hello fall slash series kickoff spectacular. Hannah, I'm so glad that we are back at it and talking together again. Me too. And I think a show like this just goes to prove that women are fantastic at multitasking because everything you just described, <laughs> we're juggling fall and welcome back and spectaculars and all of these things. So we've got a lot going on. Today. We can cram it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we can cram all this in. We we can do it. I'm sure. Now, it has been weeks, or can we even say months? It has been a long time since we have been together and recording Persuasion. So I, I've missed all the recording. I've missed the listeners. I've missed the feedback. And it's exciting to me that we get to come back for a good fall series. Yes, it has been a period of time. Um, and at mm-hmm. least on my end, that's been due to summer schedules being different. Um, you know, with having juggling again, multitasking my work life and my family life, working from home. Um, when my kids' schedule changes, my schedule changes. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that actually a, a real tension that probably a lot of listeners feel, even if you're in a more traditional marketplace job, um, that there's all this adapting and fluctuation that you have to just know is going to happen with your work. Mm-hmm. And my summer, it had adjustments. I had some personal family things that disrupted my my flow. And then I found that when that got disrupted, I needed to take a break from things. But then getting back into that flow, oh my goodness, it was so hard to like get the gears moving again. I don't know if you feel that way, that once you're off for a little bit, it's almost like it takes a lot of effort to get the machinery and the brain turning and moving again. And those gears just felt sort of rusty. So then I needed more time to uh, get myself back together and, and get moving again. So there's so much to do with um, the the work that we have that is um, a little bit more non-traditional and that we're both freelance and we have different aspects of that life, but it makes for different types of challenges as compared to working um, a traditional job that has set hours at a set location. Mm -hmm. But I do have to say, I really appreciate the flexibility. Um, I Mm -hmm. also know that living in this moment in time um, doing the work that we do gives us the ability to step away from it when we need to, when family things mm-hmm. come up. Um, you know, even when we want to make space for other work, whether it's domestic work or other creative work, 
we can do that because we have a level of control. But at the same time, the the tension to that is um, sometimes it feels out of control. <laughs> like mm-hmm. very much so. <laughs> so I think a part, a lot of that is what's driving this series. Even um, these questions of how do you engage in creative work um, in this really phenomenal time in human history where the digital age gives us so much access to other creators, to an audience, allows us to um, live this life. Like both you and I are are living very similar lives. We're doing creative work, um, but it comes with a set of challenges. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's almost like the, the very tools that we have that allow us to do it. It also creates more challenges because it's almost like we can do more if only what we had more more time more energy it, it creates the sense of urgency and the sense of um possibility that it maybe wasn't available before so now we could do it if only i only had to sleep 3 hours right. a night that would really help and i know that you and i are not the only ones asking these questions or processing these tensions. No. That even if you do have a, a traditional job in, in its space in the marketplace, so many people have side hustles too, right? Whether it's um, art, whether it's um, writing, whether it's some form of multi-level marketing. Um, it seems like today with the internet, all of us have the opportunity to take our creative work or things that we love and, and turn them into a profession or a side hustle. And so for this fall series, which we're calling uh, the creative process with an emphasis on process, we're going to be processing a lot of these questions. We're going to be asking questions about when does your hobby turn into a career? How can you navigate that transition? Uh, we're going to be asking questions about is it okay to remove yourself from other people to hide away, to do the work that you need to do? Like what are your responsibilities to your work versus to your family? Um, And for us, of course, all this is coming through the lens of creative work, uh, writing, communication, but I know there's just as many people um, filtering it through their own uh, creativity. These questions that you raise here, I know that they are valid and top of mind for lots of people because uh, we fielded lots of questions like that last fall when we had our uh, WordCraft weekend at Leaf Institute. And then earlier this summer, when we had hoped to do a little mini summer series, we thought we would do it on things related to the, the creative life. And so we fielded some questions from listeners there as well. And there were a a wide range of questions. And I think that even as you're looking online, people are talking about it there. So much is going on in terms of how do you navigate this? How do you juggle it? Should you juggle it? Um, I mean, even though I am living this sort of um, patchwork life with all these different creative ventures, I ask myself these questions. How is this going to work? How am I going to make it work? Uh, These things 
come to my mind regularly. And um, because of the ability of technology to let us do a lot of things that were out of reach before, um, even if you think about podcasting, like we are able to do this. And it is amazing that we get to do this in this format. You couldn't do that before. Now we have the technology and the tools and we can make it happen. So it's a it's opened up that door for podcasting. And yet, now that's a whole new avenue, a whole new responsibility to add into the mix. And it's it's heavy. Like how which burdens do you take on? Which which responsibilities do you take on? So I think we can talk about this um, throughout the series. How do we juggle it and how do you know which things are for you and which things you think can maybe put aside and say that those aren't for your creative work. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's striking is that some of these questions didn't even exist five years ago, and they definitely didn't exist mm. 15 years ago. Now, we talk mm-hmm. about this idea of life-work balance or how to juggle the creative life and all of these questions, but you know, 20 years ago, you either made it in writing or art or you didn't like I, I feel like perhaps there were more barriers to entering into certain fields or into certain work. Yes. And so mm-hmm. it was more of a hard yes, you are in this or no, you are not in this. And a lot of people mm-hmm. um, lot, you know, didn't even have the opportunity to do what we're doing. Um, because especially for a lot of women, the, the pressures of domestic life and the tension between the marketplace and the home just meant that they had to pick. Like they seriously had no choice. Um, today, right. with greater choice, we also have greater tension um, and figuring mm-hmm. out how to balance that. And I remember even in my own life, so I'm not that old, but in digital years, I'm ancient because I remember <laughs> a world before the digital age allowed us to be um, this productive with our creative work. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I was Mm -hmm. starting writing, which only, I mean, we're only talking 10, maybe 12, 15 years ago, not that long ago, some of the first submissions I sent in, I sent in in an envelope with an address and a stamp. Can you believe it? And a cover letter. Can you even remember that? Oh, my gosh. And a spec piece. So... Yes, email was... Was that more satisfying? Was it more satisfying to see that draft all printed out in a stack and mail it in as compared to now when you just send it along digitally? No, no. no. It still feels just as good when you hit that button. Because here's why. It's like gone. Here's the difference. (laughs) I can um, gauge an editor's interest a lot more quickly. So I don't have to Mm. invest all this work to get a rejection. So... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I can shoot off an email and they're like, yeah, no, that's not a fit. And I don't even have to, I can just pitch the concept and they can quickly respond to me. Um, Or, you know, they can, it can, my email can land on their slush pile of email, but they'll get around to me eventually. Mm -hmm. And I'm not investing so much into it before Mm -hmm. I get either an acceptance or rejection. So I think the proximity, just the, um, the way the digital age has facilitated communication has meant that I can move to projects that are worth investing my time in faster. That proximity factor is huge, how the digital age has allowed us to be so much closer to our work that 
it would just wouldn't have been accessible before. Uh, now, the bulk of my creative work is in the nonprofit sector. So I'm working with nonprofits. But I'd say early on when I was working with nonprofits, it was primarily local nonprofits because I could go and talk to them. And over time, I got the hang of what I was trying to do for nonprofits in terms of strategic communications. And with digital connections, now I can work with clients all over the place. And it makes it just so much easier to communicate and send materials. And I I agree with you, Hannah, that there is something about that closeness that allows us to have a quicker response in our creative work. And that, that is satisfying to see things move forward and not send it through snail mail and then wonder, when is it going to come back around at me? Um, with with the communication changing the way that it has, um, I think that it, like you said, it opens up these possibilities. Um, I think it can also, in some ways, put on some pressure that, well, you see everyone else going after it, and you see everyone making these connections, and you start to feel a little bit anxious, like, oh, I need to get in on that game. And so I do think there's um, a downside there where you feel pressure to to be in it and to do it like everyone else is doing right, it. Because what we need to clarify is that even though you and I may have started writing, editing work 10, 15 years ago and just got on that tail end of pre-digital age, um, there have been eras within the digital age, like where we are now was preceded by Web point one point oh. And then we're more in a what Mm -hmm. people would consider Web 2.0, which is heavily influenced by social media and uh, user content. And so I got into writing back when blogs, remember, like blogs? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I, I, oh, yeah. I want to hear what you have to say, but I have comments about that. Go ahead. I want to say something about that, too. The first attempt I was really shifting to digital work was Mm -hmm. in this space of blogs and the comment section and connecting with people there, developing ideas, even in the comment section. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I had a foot there where I was learning how to, it was like a transition, right? It was a transition from more traditional writing, publishing, okay, we're in the digital age, the digital age is serving us so well, you can email your editor. Oh, this is so great. It's accelerated communication. It's made everyone closer. Oh, no, now we're in the social media (laughs) age where everyone is close. (laughs) Not your editor, everyone, everyone is close. Everyone. (laughs) So what we're also saying is that work has come through to a It's gone through these eras online, and we are now in Mm -hmm. a day that is heavily, heavily dominated by social media, by um, image crafting, by proximity to your audience. Um, You don't have that distance of being an author who lives off in the middle of nowhere, and you encounter their work in a magazine. And you think, oh, Mm -hmm. I really like that person's work. Okay, that was a good article. That's all you know. Now it's like, who is this person? Let me Google their social media. Let me see him on Twitter. Let me see him on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, I like them as a person. <laughs> you know, it's not mm-hmm. just about the work. It's about the 
the life of the artist mm-hmm. or the writer. And so as we talk through these tensions um, over the next few weeks, we also have to recognize that we're in a distinct period of time, even within the digital age. There have yes. been different eras within the internet age. And we're in a distinct one, especially as it relates to image and voice and crafting narrative around your work and all of that extra, um, I don't know about pressure, but it definitely presents some tensions about the creative life. It's new. It, it, it is new in this era. Authors did not necessarily have to do that sort of work or think about that sort of thing before now. And uh, you mentioned the, the progression there. And um, definitely when I started writing, it was blogging. That was the big thing to do. And on your blog, it it was creating almost like a home for yourself and for your readers. Whereas now that has shifted a bit more towards social media platforming. Um, The blog used to be the place. And when I first started writing, I loved writing on my blog because it felt low key in terms of pressure. I could talk about anything on a whim that I wanted to talk about because it was a blog and you could read it or not read it. And even as I had people interacting with me and and talking through things in the comments, it was very friendly. And um, it seemed like people were, it, it seemed smaller, even though it was online. Whereas now I think with social media, it just feels um, like there aren't boundaries. Um, it, it's so much more searchable, I think. And um, the, the, I guess the rules for engagement are so much different on social media versus blogging. What I used to love about the creative process in blogging, though, is I felt like um, that was a place where I could get my hands in the words and in the ideas. And um, that's what I was doing there. It was something that I really enjoyed. And then with the addition of the social media, it sort of feels like that that work, that online work has shifted from the playing of with ideas to, oh, am I presenting the idea correctly rather than am I shaping the idea? Now with social media, it feels a little bit more like presenting it, um, showing it in a way rather than working through it. So I feel like that's been the difference for me when I look at the two aspects of um, of working in a digital age in the creative process. Right. And I think because so often this work is happening physically within the same spaces that we live as families mm-hmm. and within our home, it, it also presents this like you said, a loss of boundaries. And so I'm just trying to think through this, like what would be a good metaphor to describe this process. And um, Mm. I think maybe for me, it was okay, before the digital age, you're writing, maybe you're working at home, maybe you're a writer at home, you're an artist at home, and you have a studio out back. Um, But you're doing your work and you're sending it out, right? So so you do your Mm -hmm. work in your studio, you send it out. You move into the digital age where maybe your studio is attached to your house. Okay, so there's a little closer proximity and it's a studio people can stop by. 
right? So they can come watch Mm -hmm. you work. They can learn from you. They can participate in the process. And they may be inspired and go off and go home and do their own studio work. Now it feels like with social media that you've moved into the studio. Like you no longer have a house. Yes. You are living in the studio and everybody is living with you there. And so the questions that I've had to wrestle with about these boundaries is it is not good for creative work to have everyone around you all the time. Like you simply cannot focus on whatever craft you have to develop if you've got people milling around your studio all the time. (laughs) Um, You cannot focus on your personal life, your private life, if you're living in your studio. Like you have to have a domestic part of your life that people can't come into and and your work can't come into just to protect your sanity. Um, so I do feel like we're in this space where, wow, th- the standard seems to be you've got to live in your studio, whether it's art, or writing, you've got to have people in there with you all the time watching it happen. And I just wonder how that affects the actual work and you as a person. Well, Oh my goodness. I just you describing it like that, the idea of having people with me at all times, that is how social media very often can feel for me. I am highly introverted and that doesn't mean that I hate people. I've had people, Hannah, I've had people say, Oh, I know you don't like people. I'm like, what? That's not what I said. No, no, I really do like people and I really enjoy talking to people. But I am like in the morning, I am like a balloon that's full. And every time I interact with people, my balloon of energy deflates. And so by the end of the day, I'm done. And so social media, what I found is when I am with people, even on social media all the time, my balloon is deflated like by noon. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I still have work to do. How am I going to be creative? Like I have to manage that energy. And being on social media all the time, it, it, pulls me in ways that um, I think are unnatural or unhealthy for me and how my personality and my energy levels react to that. And what that happen, what happens for me is my creativity just tanks because I'm just exhausted. So as an introvert who is in the creative work, I have to set up pretty strong boundaries and, um, That's hard because social media is a really good distraction when you don't want to be creative or you feel stuck. (laughs) And so you go to the thing that actually is going to only make it worse. But you have to have these boundaries. But how do you do that? And, and what, what other, um, detrimental effects are there when you have these these boundaries? There are other, there are costs, but there are costs both ways. And what are, right. And I think, It's not just about your use of social media as a person, like how much you're engaging in it, but there's also Mm -hmm. this kind of expectation that you must engage in it if you are to be creative. Like if you're going to sustain your creative work, you have a responsibility to be using like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook a certain way. Um, That has become the base level norm. And it would be easy for us to look at people who are highly successful on social media in terms of uh, follower count, um, just even the beauty of what they're posting, with frequency of what they're posting, and that become the standard. And we say, okay, that's what success 
looks like in the creative life in mm-hmm. the digital age. And the trouble with that is that engagement. So social media rewards a certain type of person. And I don't mean like a good or bad mm-hmm. person. I mean, social media rewards extroverts. It rewards entrepreneurs. Yes. Mm-hmm. It rewards a certain type of person with certain types of gifts. And that's not good or bad. But what we have to recognize is you may not be that person. Mm-hmm. You, it may mm-hmm. actually come easier for some people. And it may be a natural outflowing of their personality and their own sense of driving you know, deriving life from engaging with people. Um, But I also Mm -hmm. think the struggle for us is when that becomes the standard of success. When we say that's what success in the creative life looks like in this moment in history, then we'll try to hold ourselves to standards that may or may not be healthy for us and may or may not be healthy for the kind of work that we've been called to do. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a different type of work. Um, I I think that's what I am settling in on with this whole topic is we have this creative work that we are attempting to do. And some of that is benefited by the digital age and some of it is not. Um, I I think we're trying to make everything fit into um, the social media platforming when not everything should. It's not, it's not one size fits all. It's not cram it all in there. Um, and knowing the differences between that and knowing how to balance the use of social media, um, that is the challenge in the creative life. I mean, how do you continue to, um, push yourself creatively, engage creatively, in a way that is healthy for you, but is also producing the type of work that um, is meaningful, that inspires, that challenges. Like, how do you do that? Um, I'm really looking forward to the series so that we can um, dig into those questions. And um, I don't know that we're going to come to hard and fast answers, but I feel like these are things we have to think about. And um, I feel like we owe it to our work and we owe it to the people who spend time and effort and even money to engage with what we are creating. And I think for me, uh, entering into that question or that series of questions and the processing begins with this fundamental question. Um, Do I want the creative life as it has been (laughs) presented to me on Instagram? Do I want a certain lifestyle Mm -hmm. that looks beautiful and looks productive um, and is being sold as this is what the creative life is? Or do Mm -hmm. I actually want to create And I think those Mm -hmm. are two different things because the kinds of choices you have to make to create go against the ethos of social media. It goes against um, Instagram, right? Um, So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I find so difficult in this age of communication and how we're speaking to each other about our own creativity is that I think we're lying to each other a lot. We're lying mm-hmm. about the 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 sheer work that creating is. Um, it's not always yeah. Instagrammable. It's not always beautiful. Um, 
-hmm. It is, I had a a friend say, it's the kind of work that makes you want to swear most of the time. (laughs) Because it's frustrating (laughs) and it's calling things out of you that you have to face your shortcomings, you have to face your inability, you you have to be humbled and be really honest with the limits of your capacity and where you need to work mm-hmm. harder. And I think a lot of what I see being presented on Instagram as the creative life, or I'm going to invite you into this lifestyle of creativity and productivity and beauty and art and writing and whatever else is just sheer not reality. Um, But it's Instagrammable and it's marketable. And so that's the messages that we're saying to each other about what it means to create, even if they may not be true. And I feel like it is playing off of that, um, that phrase, I'm not sure who said it, where it originated, but that phrase, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. There's that mentality of, oh, come into the creative life because it's just all so beautiful and whimsical and it all flows and it'll it'll look so lovely on your Instagram feed. And I always say, well, yes, I mean, when you are doing something you love, it feels less like work, but it still is work. And I feel like there's a fallacy there where we're trying to set up this um, this possibility that you could have have it all in terms of that American dream. And that includes hardly working, but everything you touch comes out golden. And so um, I, I feel like that's another aspect of this, of how do we balance this out and um, and put our hands to good work that may make us want to swear a whole lot, but it's going to create something not only externally, but also something in us. It's going to do something in us that is lasting and um, impactful. So yes, I am I am really looking forward to this series. Um, as we think ahead, we have lots of episodes on tap. Listeners, we're so excited for, for you to come along with us. Um, we're going to be looking at all aspects of the creative life. We're going to look at um, these same types of things in depth. We're going to have some guests. We're going to look even at some practical things like um, financial aspects and management aspects, time um, and management, that sort of thing. We're going to look at it all. And we hope that you'll join us for this whole series we're calling The Creative Process. Now, we're kind of winding down for today's episode, but we'll be back next week. So come on back for that. Um, we'd love to have all of you join in. I know we're just getting started on this conversation, but we would love to be hearing from you because we need to hash all this out together. So Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Um, oh, today, good. we want to know what is your particular creative outlet? What is the thing that you do? Um, And it may not be what we would categorize as traditional, you know, creativity that we we have these artificial Mm -hmm. categories of music or art or writing. Um, But what is your creative outlet? What is the thing that you have developed an interest in and that you love and would be the thing that you would be thinking about um, as we move through this conversation? So what is your particular um, creative outlet and aspect that you yourself, um, when you put your hand to something, that's what you produce and create? So come on out to Twitter. You can find us at Persuasion C-A-P-C and tell us uh, what you do in your creative life 
or if you're um, in our Christ and Pop Culture members forum, you can jump on the thread there and uh, tell us what gets you moving and creative. And if you're not a member of Christ and Pop Culture, you can become a member for just $5 a month supporting these kinds of conversations and all the articles and all the other good stuff that's happening in Christ and Pop Culture. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Claussen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can listen to them at our site, ChristandPopCulture.com. You can go to iTunes and search for them there. While you're at iTunes, as always, we would love to have your ratings and reviews. It helps for other people to find us and uh, join the conversation. We do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.